Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. We've been looking together at Matthew chapter 28, what Christians call the Great Commission. It is where Jesus calls his disciples to go into all the world. And we've seen that, first of all, this group that Jesus calls are a broken group. Now the 11 disciples went. There were 12. Now there's 11. And there's a story of brokenness there, a great need of grace and recovery in Jesus. And then we saw that that group went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And we notice that they are seeking now as a broken group, grace washed in Christ. They are seeking the direction of Jesus in contrast to others in this passage who are seeking a different kind of direction. And then when they saw him in verse 17, we said they were worshipers. And so those who go on mission, we see, are broken in need of grace, seeking the direction of Jesus together from a place of worship. And now we come to the next bit in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. But some doubted. Now, is Matthew just being kind here? Is he using the plural like, like we, to, to really speak of Thomas? And everyone knows he's speaking of Thomas, but he speaks in the plural. Sort of like, uh, uh, we all mustn't be late, but it's really Zach who's late. But we're saying we all mustn't be late to send a message to Zach. Is that what this is? Or is it possible that among the 11, there was more than Thomas? For some doubted. And it makes sense that they're doubting, doesn't it? They're bewildered. Uh, there's this idea that uh, these ancient people just weren't enlightened like we are, so they would have just immediately believed in uh, bodily resurrected men. <laughs> but of course, that's not true. They would be as skeptical as we are. And they seem to be still trying to get their heads around it. Some of them. Some doubt it. It's a remarkable thing to say. Uh, you, you might uh, hear someone at some point in your life say, the Bible was just written by powerful men to preserve their power. I'll remind you of two quick things here. Number one, these people in this passage are not powerful. Each of them are Jewish minorities beneath uh, a violent Roman occupation. They're considered dogs in that world. And Matthew, who's writing this, any little bit of power he once had as a traitor to his own people, as a tax collector collaborating with the Roman government. He gave it all up to identify with Jesus and to identify with his people. There's just no power for them to preserve. Second of all, if they were writing to try to preserve their power and demonstrate the intimidating force of Christianity, aren't they doing a bad job of it? Because surely they should have erased that bit, but some doubted. Surely they should have removed that part, huh? To make it sound strong. But by saying that some of the core 11 disciples who will be the first to go out on mission in the name of Jesus were doubting. 
Maybe they're just telling the truth. Maybe they're honest and human. You know what the the message here is. Doubt doesn't count you out. In the name of Jesus Christ, as far as he's concerned, doubt doesn't count you out. Do you have a thought somewhere rolling around in the back of your head that if your relative, your son or daughter, your grandson or granddaughter uh, doubts that somehow you're to separate them from the church and separate them from your life? Do you have a little thing buzzing around, a little bee buzzing around your head that that tells you that if you're in a church, if you're in a house group, if you're in a missions agency, if you're in a Bible study and someone expresses a doubt that you need to immediately correct it and if they don't immediately believe, they must be removed and separated somehow. May I ask you, if you have that thought, where does it come from? Can you show me where that thought is in this book? Because everywhere, whether it's Psalm 77 or Psalm 88 or it's Thomas's story or it's this core declaration right here, those who doubt are not separated but are welcomed. They say things to Jesus like, I believe, help my unbelief. And he does. And the earliest Christians just say it plainly in the book of Jude. Christian, have mercy on those who doubt. The Christian community is meant to be the most merciful place on the globe for anyone who doubts. Why? Because of their Savior, their Lord. This is His way. Doubt doesn't count you out. Do you have a sense that maybe you would like to go on mission in the name of Jesus, but you have a nagging doubt? You, you feel questions from time to time. You, you feel uncertainties. Let me encourage you. That does not count you out. It does not count them out. Look at it. It's right there in front of you. Jesus is about to send into all the world a broken group of Jesus-directed doubting worshipers. What do you make of that? Doubt doesn't count you out, dear friend. Maybe in other religions, maybe in some churches, maybe in some families, but not with Jesus. And this is good news. For notice, the rest of the 11 don't separate from the doubters. And notice, when they begin to fall down prostrate and worship, The rest of the 11 don't shun the doubters. And notice Jesus doesn't dismiss the doubters, but rather welcomes their worship. Isn't he grand? Isn't Jesus marvelous? Isn't he kind, merciful? Doubt doesn't count you out, dear friend, not in Jesus' name. But neither can doubt get you through. 
Doubt doesn't count you out, but it doesn't have the resources to get you through. For where are these doubters? These doubters aren't separating from the rest, identifying their deconstructed faith as some kind of identity, and then moving away from Jesus and moving away from the Christian community. And instead, in their doubt, where are they? Connected with the other 11, their fellow broken ones needing the grace of God in Christ. Where are those who are doubting, connected with the community, seeking Jesus' direction? Where are these doubters, connected with the other 11, in the presence of Jesus, worshiping? The best place on the earth to doubt is with the fellowship of Christians in the presence of Christ. The wisest place to doubt is with the fellowship of Christians in worship, seeking Jesus' direction before his face. Doubt doesn't count you out, but it can't get you through. And so if you were to have the idea, I'd like to go on mission for Jesus, my doubts don't matter. I'm enough, my doubts don't matter, I will go. Hold you need a broken community of grace seeking the direction of Jesus together in worship with your doubts before Jesus will send you the kind of doubter Jesus sends in this passage is that kind of doubter the one still moving in community toward him Well, how is it that the Christians would have such mercy on those who doubt? Their Savior, Jesus. He put, him, he put his shoes, he put himself in the shoes of the doubter and the questioner. On the cross, he not only paid for our sins, he took up the question of those who've been sinned against. He took up the question of those who doubt. He cried out, why? My God, my God, why? And he took up the most ancient of objections to Christianity. If there is a God, and that God is good, why does he allow evil? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What other religious leader in the history of the world has talked like that. And right there in the heart of the worst violence, he raises the question and he puts himself in the questioner's shoes. Jesus has asked the question, why? No wonder the Christians feel the sympathy of Jesus. No wonder they feel that he is like a great high priest, able to sympathize with their weakness in every way, though without sin, in the boat with them. And then, Jesus entrusts himself to the same one he questions. 
And in that, don't we learn the same? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. The same God Jesus questioned is the same Father he entrusts himself to. No wonder on the other side of the resurrection now, the other side of the cross, Jesus who stepped in the doubter's shoes and the questioner's shoes has mercy on those who doubt. And they experience worship. And they experience his direction. And they experience the grace of being broken together. And they experience his presence and they are being mended and made solid and they are being given purpose and they are being sent. And don't you think as they go into the nations if they encounter someone who doubts because they themselves have they can then step in the shoes of those they're ministering to and tell them of a Savior who has stepped into their shoes and is their great high priest and their great sympathizer, God who created them, who knows them by name and invites them, even with their doubts, into his presence You might think, I need to only bring my faith into the presence of God and try to get swat away all those flies of doubt to come into the presence. But this is the opposite. Bring your doubt. Bring it. Plead your weakness, as Charles Spurgeon would say. Don't hide it away. Name it. And in community, bring it to him. Why? Because with him... Doubt won't get you through, but doubt will never count you out. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are looking to you who steps into our shoes with such mercy. Solidify our heart in faith. We ask it in your name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.